Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hi there. We are on the road this week. Very definitely, right, Richard? We are in the Big Apple, New York City, because we have a brand new granddaughter. And she was just And a brand new grandson in San Diego. So we had two grandbabies this week. We may have mentioned that was going to happen last week, but within 18 days of each other, one on each coast. Are we lucky or what? And man, the timing was perfect because we went to see the little guy. Do we dare call him Little Linda since he weighed 10 pounds? Well, almost <laughs> he was 10. Born. even say that before mother. <laughs> so I'll say the big guy. We went and just, just met the big guy and we're getting acquainted with him. And then we just had a feeling we better get over to New York because this other little baby was going to come and this second Actually, one. Actually, let I me have, tell the story. He was well. He was I just want to say on... his. I just want to say her mother is Swiss, and so we knew that she would be right on time being a Swiss baby. That so we got on the Swiss, plane and we got here on her due date. Swiss precision. It was her due date. But actually, we were didn't come in until midnight on her due date, and so she waited for us until 10 o'clock the next morning. And there she came, popping into the world. And she was no small baby herself, weighing in at 8 pounds, 7 ounces. <laughs> we are making now, big babies this is, lately. This is probably a little like, you know, someone comes over to your house and you start showing them your, your old home movies. Home movies. <laughs> So we should we shouldn't be this personal. We're going to get on to some parenting advice and such in a minute here, but we ought to just at least tell you their names. The, the little guy in San Diego, his name is Bennett Richard Iyer. So watch out for him. And the little gal here in New York City is little Anina, which is a Swiss name. And boy, is she cute. She is from the Swiss region, the German uh, section of Switzerland, a beautiful resort called Slims, and it's very close to where they filmed Heidi. We actually have been there, and it looks like Heidi could just walk out any minute and wave at us. But I just, you know, excuse us for reveling in grandparenthood, but uh, you parents who are listening to this show and you're... You're sometimes at your wit's end with uh, your your kids and all the hassle and all of the uh, demands and so on. Just remember that at some point, this wonderful thing called grandparenting will come. And, of course, one of the joys of it is watching your kids who gave you so much trouble have a little trouble of their own. (laughs) That is kind of fun. And I do have to say that we also, our youngest daughter is starting a job the first week of January with uh, somebody we admire very much. It's a company called Innocites. And um, Clayton Christensen, who some of you listeners may know, um, started the company. She'll be working out of uh, Palo Alto. And Where are you going, with, where are you going thing, with this one? Well, hang on, and I'll tell you. Um, uh, the interesting thing about him is that he wrote a book recently called Disrupting Education. And how important it is to change what we're doing with education in order to make it better. 
And I cannot think of a better way to become a new and different person and disrupt your whole life than having a baby. Um, Disrupting lives. It absolutely is a total disruption, and your whole life changes. This is a first baby for these ones in New York City, and it's not like they're 20 and 21 either. Um, They are in their 30s. They're both in their 30s, and both of them thought, oh, I just wonder if I'm cut out to be a parent, and and I wonder, you know, will will I be able to bond to that new little person, and on and on. Oh, my gosh, you ought to see how bonded they are. They don't even want to see us. They just want to hold the baby, pass him back and pass her back and forth, and uh, it is just a transformation, Linda, you're right, and it's a wonderful transformation. Well, it's the refiner's fire. I mean, suddenly you realize, I remember when our daughter, our daughter had our first grandchild, and she, I looked at her in the hospital, and she said, oh, my gosh, Mom, how did you do this so many times? And it just takes being there to really get it and to get the total dedication it takes to care for not just a little baby, but forever. It changes your life forever. It refines you. It makes you a better person. It, this disruption is probably the best thing that you can possibly do for yourself. Some people may not be convinced of that, but... I think we're convinced of that. It is so amazing what it does for not only the mother as a person, but the father and the family. And every single baby that joins a family changes the constellation. It's always a disruption. I remember thinking when we had like our fifth, sixth, seventh, I was thinking, why can't you remember how hard this is? This is really hard. This is totally disrupting your life. What are you thinking? And then as we look back now... We did it right. I mean, I can't imagine what we would do without any single one of our children. Well, and let me just say a word or two, because there may be some expecting parents listening today or parents out there who are thinking of having another child and so on. And one of the things that's so interesting... Or parents that may be thinking about sending one back. So we (laughs) we need to get that in the mix as well. Return to sender. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it is it is interesting to to <laughs> there's a lot of experts out there, folks. And what you want to remember, in my opinion, is you want to remember that you're the only expert on your child. And you know, I'm thinking a lot about that right now because uh, our son and daughter-in-law here in New York City took the uh, kill it with knowledge approach. I bet they've read a dozen books on not only what to expect when you're expecting, but a whole lot even more specialized books. And their apartment is full of books on nursing and on, you know, what babies are supposed to do the first week, and they get emails about it and so on. And and that's great. I mean, I'm not, I hope I don't sound critical, because if you're going to have the experience, why not totally, completely immerse yourself in it? But I do have to tell you, and you already know this if you're already a parent, uh, the experts don't always agree. In fact, they rarely do. And you'll read one thing, and then you'll read another expert. I'll tell you exactly the opposite. I mean, it, and, and it changes over time. You probably, some of you remember when you were always supposed to lay your babies on their tummies. And now, of course, you would never dream of doing that. They have to be on their back. And, Except you know, everything the changes. And people have flat have, heads. 
you should you should hear the number of different experts on nursing. You know, ten minutes on each side. Oh no, never go longer than this. Do what the baby wants. Just let the baby decide. On and on and on. All kinds of expertise. But I think what we keep reminding ourselves of, honey, is that every baby is different. Every mom is different. Every dad is different. And, of course, you want to get all the advice you can, but you want to kind of become your own expert and be kind of your own critic as you read all these experts and pick the things that feel right to you because there is an instinct. The baby has an instinct. The baby knows what's best, and the mom knows what's best, and the dad should probably kind of bug off. Well, except that dads are more and more involved, but it is kind of hilarious because when we were having children, the Lamaze method was the way to go, and we did the same thing. We went to Lamaze classes. We have figured, they told us this is how it's going to be. We get in the delivery room, not related to what they said at all. I mean, for some people, yes, but now this cute couple have been doing hypnobirthing. They've been taking lessons all through the pregnancy not, on not, hypnobirthing. Not hypo, not not hippo birthing, hypno birthing. <laughs> hypno. So you kind of hypnotize yourself, you know, that this doesn't really hurt. And honestly, this cute mom, I said, well, how is the hypno birthing? And she said, oh, my gosh, with the first pain that went right out the window. <laughs> it had no relation to what my body was doing. And, you know, we have children who've had water births and hardly any pain and can go in their minds and do this amazing thing. And then other ones like, give me the epidural. Where is that anesthesiologist, you know? And so everybody has to come up with their own way, whether it's, uh, well, and not only just with uh, giving birth, but also with nursing, also with raising children, with what works with one child is not going to work with another one. It's just a great lesson in uh, disruption. And it's sort of, you know, it's sort of the beginning, Linda, of a bigger lesson, which is all the way through parenting, whether you've got a new infant or whether you've got a three-year-old or whether you've got a 10-year-old or whether you've got a teenager, that whole, the same principle continues to apply, that of course you want to listen to the experience of other parents and maybe read some parenting expert books or parenting books or whatever, but bottom line you're the only one that's an expert on your child. And, again, the mom's different, the dad's different, the baby's different. I, we have another, well, let me just say two things quickly. The one the one just born in San Diego, talk about a contrast. That mom was just wonderfully fine with an epidural and even took a nap while she was in labor because she was feeling no pain. And you compare that to another daughter of ours, the one that lives in Boston, who who thinks that natural childbirth in water surrounded by dimmed lights with doulas running around helping you and coaching you and a midwife and no doctor as far as the eye can see because, hey, no one's sick here. We're doing a natural process. So I'm just trying to point out it's such a variety. And then that what I want to plan in the minds of parent listeners is that difference made up of a different mom, a different dad, and a different baby, carries on throughout life. And a wise parent is one who gets a lot of advice but takes it with a grain of salt and does what feels right to him or her and maybe prays quite a bit about it too, Linda, because I think what Abraham Lincoln said, 
applies to parents. He said, sometimes I'm driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. I think a lot of parents feel exactly that. That's so true. I mean, I, I know we have. And the thing is, sometimes it takes years to figure out kids. It's not just you don't get it all figured out when they're just little infants. It just takes forever because, you know, we always thought, well, you know, we, we handled this first baby. It was hard, but, you know, we got it. We got it down. So let's have another baby. And so we have the second baby, and guess what? It had no relation whatsoever to the first baby. I mean, this was a colicky baby. Our first one slept till you know all night until ten in the morning. By the time she was six months old, this one never went to sleep for two and a half years. I mean, you know, it really is just amazing. It's so amazing, and that's why I started where I did, and, and we can end here before we go to break. How important it is to disrupt your life because wow, you learn so much about human nature and what you're made of and what you're not made of. And as some of you may know, I wrote a book when all the kids were home called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch because you don't plan that. You think you're going to have warm cookies waiting and, oh, darling, I'm so sorry about that. And it doesn't quite work out that way. So it really is fun. It's exciting. It's a wonderful experience to have these new little babies and bring them in the world. But you learn as much about yourself as you do about them. Yes, indeed. We've got just a little less than a minute before we go to break, and I want to try to summarize what we've tried to say in this first uh, half of the show by using my favorite word, which is serendipity, where the adjective word is serendipitous. And I think that's what parenting is a lot of times. The parents, I think, that have the best time and do the best jobs they, they have a plan. They've studied it out. They, they think they know kind of what they want to do and how they want to have the childbirth or how they want to raise the three-year-old or how they want to deal with the teenager. They've thought it through, but they recognize that this is unique and different and other people's experience will not be the same as theirs. And they kind of wing it when they come to something that's different. And that's what serendipity really is. It's having a plan but deviating a little as you notice a new thing about this personality or a new thing about this child of yours. So we are in the support of serendipitous parenting, and we'll talk a little more about that right after this break. back again, Ayers on the Road, speaking to you today from the Big Apple, beautiful New York City, where preparations are in serious high gear, as well, while Linda was assisting as the attending mother-in-law, I was uh, walking down Fifth Avenue today, and I mean creeping down, because shoulder-to-shoulder people are uh, hard to even get around, but um, Linda, I haven't told you this, but there was a little Salvation Army guy there who was singing, and he might he might as well have been uh, Harry Belafonte. I mean, he was so good, and he was raising a lot of money because people were listening to him sing and then putting money in his pot, and the windows at Bergdorf are more spectacular than ever, and FAO Schwartz, it's like there was a line two blocks long, 
just to get in to the greatest toy store in the world, some people in London might say Hamley's is better, but FAO Schwartz is pretty darn great. Wow, it's so quite we an were. amazing, it's an amazing city, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, you forget every time you come. And we're country people, but we love the big cities, and honestly, there is such a spirit here. Of, I mean, people are smiling, and, you know, the usually the gruffness of New York City is just gone. People are so kind, trying to give you directions or anything you need. Um, but the lights, the creativity, the designs, the, everything is just unbelievable. You know, I want to just, um, you've probably gathered, you that listen regularly, that this, uh, speaking of serendipity, which we mentioned in the first half of the show, this show itself is pretty serendipity. We try not to have a script. We try to talk about where we are that particular week and what we're doing and, and what it has to do with uh with parenting, um, and I just I just want to mention that um, you know I, I was just before just before going on the air I was talking to a good friend who uh, runs uh, an investment company and one of the goals they have is to help their clients to preserve the wealth in the family so that it doesn't go to taxes or it doesn't get used up or it, it isn't given to kids who aren't ready to handle it and so on. Wealth preservation, it's a big subject that people are very interested in. I guess the more money you have, the more interested you are in that kind of a subject. But, you know, I, I was just uh, telling him on the phone how interesting it is as we travel around, Linda, so much more now than a few years ago. We're meeting a lot of parents who say, you know, I have decided that leaving big estate or leaving an inheritance for my children is not the most important thing in the world. In fact, it may be a negative thing in the sense that it might take away my child's initiative or motivation. And so there's a surprising number of parents today who have some kind of means who are actually making a conscious choice not to leave an inheritance to to kids, or if they do leave one, to leave it very carefully done legally so that it doesn't spoil or rob the motivation and initiative of that child. And another, the other thing that ties in with that is that, um, you know, there's this, there's this sort of rampant feeling now that, boy, if you're going to have a child at all, you better have some money because kids cost a fortune. You you may have read these articles. They come out almost on a regular basis where, oh, it's going to cost four. Uh, the latest one I saw estimated $420,000 to raise a child. Well, <laughs> I beg to differ with that. I mean, for one thing, they're counting a whole lot of things that most parents don't think are necessary to give to a child. And number two, did anyone ever think about the possibility that kids might actually help support themselves? They might actually pay for part of their own college tuition. They might actually even have part-time jobs and buy some of their own clothes. I mean, isn't it odd, Linda, that a few generations, one, gen, one or two generations ago, the reason you'd have a lot of kids was to help you on the farm. In other words, children were an economic asset. The more of them you had, 
the more help you had on the menial labor of the farm or whatever. Now it's almost a complete 180, and we say, oh, gosh, I don't even know if I can afford one child, $420,000 or two. My goodness, if I had three, it's going to cost me more than a million dollars to raise them. Well, I'm just here to say that is such total nonsense, and we ought to be thinking in terms of, A, can we raise kids who are self-sufficient and who start from a fairly young age, earning part of their own money, paying part of their own expense, who save up for their missions, for their college, and who are really self-sufficient in an increasing way earlier and earlier in life. And then that begins to tie into what I brought up first, Linda, which is, do we really, is the inheritance we want to leave our kids a nest egg of money? Is it some kind of financial wealth? Or, and I'm not saying, I'm not making a judgment on that. Some people leave estates and it benefits their children and their children are prepared for it and it's a very wonderful thing. But isn't the legacy and the inheritance we really want to leave to our children their own ability developed while they were under our tutelage of being self-sufficient and of being able to manage their own affairs and being able to take care of themselves. In other words, don't we really want to leave them with something that is better than an inheritance because it's the ability to make their own way in life and to have the pride and the joy and the fulfillment that comes with making your own way rather than living off of what your parents left you. That is so true. In fact, we had uh, dinner a couple of weeks ago with some very dear friends whom we've known for a lot of years, and we love their children. They're, our children love their children. I mean, they're just good kids. They're good, solid kids. Uh, most of them are married now and have made good marriage choices and so on, but one of the reasons I think they're so good is that they have had to fend for themselves. I mean, obviously, they have some luxuries that a lot of people don't have. I mean, this man owns a lot of Utah, his company, um, and is very wealthy. But the kids have known from the get-go that, you know, when he dies when and when his wife passes on, that those kids will be part of a uh, foundation, a group that will decide where to give the money. None of it goes to them. It will go to a foundation so that they can give, which is such a huge blessing to these kids and to whoever is the recipient of all these funds. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they get a little bit, but honestly, I don't think so. I don't think a lot. Do you? No. Actually, they told us that uh, they had arranged their estate so that their kids would be the members of the board of a foundation that is designed to help poor families and underprivileged children, especially in third world locations, and that their own kids would be the directors of this board and would make the decisions on where that wealth would go, but none of it would go to them. Now, some of you might say, whoa, that's a little extreme. Why not do a balanced approach and have the kids have uh, enough to, to get by on and to have the things that they need and want and still maybe leave some to charity if you happen to have that much money. But the interesting thing is, and I'm just going to go circle back and say it again, 
you know, it's, it's sort of on the same thing we were on the first half of the show, and everyone's different. Some people never have to worry about leaving money because they, they don't have any, and they don't. They probably won't. They'll live from month to month, and that's fine. Others may have some. Every family situation will be unique and different. But what is not changeable and variable is the principle, which is what we want to do. This is a, it sounds a little funny, but if you think about it, it'll make a lot of sense that the real goal of any good parent is to work his way out of a job. In other words, to get that child to a point where the child is on his own and can be on his own, can be independent, not only financially, but emotionally and spiritually.